Have you been thinking about Hereditary? Uh, yeah, I told my whole team about it this morning. We have our Monday stand-up, and we share like highs and lows. And my high was I watched Hereditary, and I couldn't tell if anyone else I was talking to had seen it, and I kind of got some blank stares. <laughs> Welcome to episode 434 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing? Good. We have an insane outline. Should we just jump in? <laughs> Let's just jump in. This week's episode, we have a new sponsor. Hey. It's called Best Practicer. Best Practicer is a platform that helps you find a coach as a designer to help you level up, support you, and help you grow faster. They match you with an experienced design coach from a leading tech company, Somebody you might have heard of, people who are veterans in the field, who are a few levels ahead and familiar with the challenges that you're probably facing as a designer. All of the design coaches on Best Practicer are people with years of experience. They've been coaches, they've been leaders at companies, and they have methodologies and skills and best practices to help you grow faster, both in your career and in your skills. They can actually spend time with you looking at your work, helping you achieve your goals. You'll meet on a regular cadence. You build a relationship with your coach. It's not one of these get a coach for an hour. No, it's get a coach for the long term to build a relationship and work together towards building a better career for you as a designer and helping you level up. If you are thinking about having a design coach or just interested in the idea of having a more formal relationship with someone who can help you level up as a designer, head to designdetails.fm slash best practicer. We also have a link in the show notes. If you're listening to this and you're saying, ah, that sounds cool, but I'm actually more interested in being a coach or being a mentor, they also have opportunities for you. You can go to that same URL, designdetails.fm slash bestpracticer and poke around. Or you can just email them directly, hello at bestpracticer.com. Some of the designers on their coaching roster, people you might have heard of, folks like Buzz Osborne, who's a principal designer at Help Scout. Duncan Graham, who's the head of design at Modern Treasury, and Sheta Chatterjee, who's the product design manager at WhatsApp. So help scout, Modern Treasury, WhatsApp, good roster there. So if you're ready to take the next step in your career and level up, head to designdetails.fm slash bestpracticer and get yourself a coach. Thank you, best practicer. Thanks, best practicer. This week, we're supported by Vagaro. Vagaro is hiring designers to build the booking, payment, and marketing solutions for growing businesses in the beauty, wellness, and fitness industries around the world. If you want to have an immediate, direct, and high impact through design, learn more about Vagaro at designdetails.fm slash Vagaro. Link in the show notes. Thanks, Vagaro. Thanks, Vagaro. All right. We have a big old list of very important pixels. Ooh. VIPs, welcome to the fam. Welcome. Huge shout outs to Doc Chikotri, heystefan.com. Nice <laughs> That's just such hack a of the system here. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I'll even say, hey, Stefan is spelled Stefan with an F. Hugo Hill, Zand Makato, Jim Carolin, Daniel Sims, Andreas Bakish. Bakish? Bach adjacent? Yeah. <laughs> Andreas Bakish, Charlie Gedeon. Silka Sietzma, Delilah Mokri, Tom Feher, Kalv Sandu, Ori E, Nicholas Van Eyck, Pepin, Julie Hoxie, Brett Benner, Mark Markov, Destiny Joel, Megan Martin, Hamza Labrinsi, Alexa Jarvis, Clark, and Omatayo Paul AJ. 
What a list, Brian. Welcome Ooh, to the fam, everybody. Come on in. The water's warm. Be water sure is warm. to catch your first sidebar this week. Make sure you got that blue album artwork in your podcast player. That's how you know you're on the Patreon RSS feed. That was kind of purplish. It's kind of an indigo, I guess. I'm just going to say blue. It's in the blue <laughs> hue yeah. spectrum range. I don't need to get more precise than that. If you didn't know, we are a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week... Folks like you listening right this moment, designers from around the world, gather at patreon.com slash design details where they get access to bonus content. Every single week we publish a second episode. It's called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And for just a buck a month, you get access to that double app, Sidebar, every single week. So instead of hearing our topic today and then being sad that you can't hear us keep talking for another little while, you could instead be on our Patreon. Get those double apps. This week we're talking about how do you deal with trading off your career ambitions for just general life happiness? Or maybe more specifically, at what point would you consider downgrading your career for increased happiness? So if you want to hear us talk about that very simple and straightforward topic, <laughs> as well as get access to our backlog of sidebars and all future sidebars going forward, be sure to go to patreon.com slash design details and sponsor us for uh, just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right. Thank you to all our new VIPs. Welcome to the fam. Let's dig into it. Marshall, grab bag day. Yeah, we got a news desk, Brian. News desk weeks. Uh, these are going to be some rapid fire topics. Two of these are coming to us from GitHub and one from Twitter. Let's dig in. Marshall, first question comes to us on GitHub from Alan Mills. Alan says, hi all. I've been a UI UX engineer at a company seeking to make that move to a senior level UI UX. And over the recent winter break, I took the initiative, self-initiated, to seek opportunities of enhancing the performance of our small design team. While doing so, also seeking ways to improve the interoperability of our team and assets. Already, I'm revamping how we're using Figma. For example, standardizing team and project schemas, file templates with status indicators, enhancing our Figma design system with additional documentation, micro animations within components for more nuanced representations, etc. Handoff checklists with some ideas from research. Anyways, I would love to hear some stories from your experiences, perhaps some insights on how I slash we can evangelize the process. Maybe insights on how I can track the performance of the changes I'm making, at least the Figma portion of the changes. As something for me to set in place as I'm executing the rest. Thanks a ton. Digging the show. Well, we're digging the question. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Alan. Good question. Good question. Short answer. <laughs> Short answer. Yeah, I feel like my answer is going to be shorter than it took to actually ask the question. That list that you read was really good. Like, that's a great place to be if you're doing all of those things. As far as tracking performance of the changes, it's kind of tough at the moment. Figma library stats are a little bit limited. You basically get the number of inserts of a given component, how many times it's been broken, usage by team, like percentage. But outside of that, it's kind of hard to measure impact of you know how things are actually being used. Um, one thing that I found was useful was tracking changes to libraries. So we actually kind of have like a half manual, half automated situation going on for this of like, we track changes manually, we change the text of a frame in the library, anytime somebody makes a change, and every day that text field gets scraped, and any bullet point in that text field gets added to a spreadsheet 
and that gets logged over time so that we can keep track of who made what changes and oh, when and then it's like our release notes yeah basically yeah it's a it's a automatically collated list of yeah release notes change notes and so which makes it really easy whenever we push a publication just copy the most recent ones from you know what's changed since the last publish and you're done. Love it. And I'm guessing that's closed source, but I'm sure that solution could easily be built out as a Figma plugin. Right? Yeah, one of our PGMs wrote it. I have no idea how it works, but I'm sure you can figure it out. Uh, it's probably relatively simple automation stuff going on, but makes sense. Yeah, we have some plugins internally at GitHub that do things kind of like you've mentioned as well, Alan, things like having file templates with status indicators and just sort of standardizing some of the way that people stand up and, and share a file. We also got fairly organized with teams and groups and files within the whole Figma dashboard. Like there's a lot of levels of hierarchy, but trying to keep that somewhat clean with good names, things that are searchable, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's what he's talking about here with the uh, standardizing team slash project schema. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying definitely on the right track. Like this all rings true with what we've, we've done at GitHub. The only thing I would maybe say is if you're missing anything here, just don't sleep on the Figma plugin system. You mentioned you're a UI UX engineer. Maybe you have some experience building Figma plugins, but a lot of this stuff can be automated or, or even, you know, to Marshall's point, like think about scripting or just plugins that you could run once a day and it could scoop up a bunch of info and post that out to some website or spreadsheet. I feel like there's a ton of opportunity here. And what's cool is depending on if you're an organization or what kind of Figma plan you're on, you could make those plugins private and internal, or you can just make something dope and publish it back to the community and I don't know, like get that sort of industry level recognition. If you build something useful and other companies use it and download it, feels like a great win to put on a performance review or just drive awareness of your team and, and their work. If you're hiring, there's a lot to be done there from the Figma community point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the most powerful stuff I do comes from the plugins that we have built internally. Like somebody wrote it once and it makes my life infinitely more easy. So if there's something especially bespoke that you can do for your team that would have outsized impact for your team, that's awesome. But if it could also help other people make that shit public. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Alan. Hope this was a helpful answer, but let's press forward. We have more to dig into. Our next question comes from Twitter from Mark Markov, new VIP. Yeah, I recognize that name. Mark says, question for the podcast. What's the handoff delivery process? Is it similar to these, see attached screenshot, or are engineers educated on how to get what they need from the files? Mark attached an image to this tweet with some design components, very meticulously redlined with dotted lines and bounding boxes and labels for tokens and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, Mark, here is my my short answer is please, for the love of God, don't redline. <laughs> I just feel like all this stuff is so manual and tedious. Um, these are things that computers are good at doing. Um, so consider looking into some plugin systems. One plugin that does redlining automatically uh, is Automator by Jordan Singer. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, but he built a script where it could just overlay all this sort of redline dimensions of this should be 24 points away from this thing. Uh, now, integrating with your specific token library, that one might be more complicated to do with a plugin. So here's my advice for you is have your engineers download Figma, show them how to open a file, and show them two things. The first is how to command click on an element. And honestly, this step isn't even needed if they only have viewer permissions. If they aren't an editor, they won't even need this command click. They can just click on an element. And then the second thing is to hold option and have them move their mouse around the canvas 
and that will show people the distance between things. So being able to quickly select a thing and see all of its properties in the uh, inspect panel or being able to option, click and move your mouse around to see the distances between elements. That's basically the extent of the Figma training that I feel like it's like the 80-20 rule, right? Like that's, except in this case, it's like the 81 rule, like 80% of the value delivered by 1% of the features. <laughs> so that's what I do. And that's how we work on, on my team at GitHub as engineers are definitely in the Figma files and know how to get values for themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, what this means is the onus is on you, the designer, to make a pixel-perfect mock so that when those engineers go to measure that stuff, they're not interpreting a wrong number. Hopefully, you've also worked with them to educate them on, like, here's what design tokens mean. And we've talked about this in the show, but, like, if you see a 15 or a 17, that's probably wrong. It should be a 16, you know. So if you do make an error, they know how to interpret those errors and snap them to the right value. But... Really, the onus is now on you to like make those perfect mocks so that when they measure, it's accurate. Yeah, that's true. I would the only pushback I would have is it would be more leverage to just teach people that, hey, we operate on a whatever base four grid system. Yep. So if you see a 14 or not a 14, if you see like a 15 or 17, or I guess actually a 14, it's probably a mistake. Reach out to me or just round. Because personally, I don't like worrying about some situation where my mock is off by pixel and the engineer is just some automaton robot who (laughs) comes in and is like, well, said 15, so I did 15. It's like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. we should be a little bit more dynamic and understand that there are patterns and rules and systems in place where we can improvise. We notice this thing looks slightly off or it's one pixel off, but we understand the intent of what was designed. So I find that to be a much more satisfying way to work or perhaps maybe just like a less tedious way to work. So I recommend that. Yeah, yeah. But the the primary method should be you make perfect mocks. Failing that, you have a safety net called educated engineers who know how to interpret your mistakes. 100%. Cool. Quick answer, Brian. Easy. All right, you want to hit this last one? Yeah. Okay, so this last one comes from our GitHub. This is from listener No Code Carlos. Carlos asks, hey there. Wait, wait, can I just say, this is Carlos's first issue and they joined GitHub to open this issue. This happens a lot. This happens a lot. Look, I'm just saying, put it on my (laughs) perf. All right. Anyways, Carlos says, hey there, I'm new to the design field three months into my UX role and I have a fear that I don't have strong enough opinions or knowledge to come up with a solution and push it forward all the way through. I think my problem is that I'm overly empathetic and I always end up seeing the best in other people's ideas and going along with it because I'm concerned I won't be getting far ahead if I can't stick by my guts every now and then or may get taken advantage of because I'm a yes man. How do you build your, quote, no muscle without damaging relationships? Good question. Thanks, Carlos. I love this question. And when I saw it come through on our GitHub, I sent it to Marshall and I said this, quote, I said, I resonate a bit with this. I don't feel like I started having strong opinions until last year. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't even know if that's still true. I feel like I, I vibe with this because I'm not even sure I have super strong opinions. I feel like I'm still forming, or I don't know, like gathering data points to have opinions in the first place at all. So here's what I think, no code Carlos, is that first of all, you're three months into your UX role. It is totally fine to not have opinions this early in your career. I guess I'm a little over a decade, somewhere around there. And I still feel like most people with strong opinions are wrong. Like there's just too much 
circumstance and context that's required for every decision. But I understand why people formulate opinions. And that is because over time, you will just encounter lots and lots of situations at work. You'll work on lots of different problems and you will see how all of the solutions to those problems play out. So you start to pattern match and people form opinions by pattern matching and recognizing things that work more often than not. And they can gravitate towards those solutions faster in the future. I think you also realize a lot of times that every design decision that you make will come with trade-offs. And with trade-offs, like there's often not a clear-cut right or wrong answer. So having a strong yes opinion or a strong no opinion almost always feels a little bit like not fully recognizing the trade-offs. I don't know. In any case, just make lots and lots of trade-offs in your career and you will start to pattern match. You'll be able to recognize like, ah, yeah, this trade-off feels better because I've experienced it in the past and it was the least painful. Or this trade-off feels worse because the business strategy this quarter is something or another, right? Like again, it's all circumstantial and depends on the context. Anyways, over the years, I feel like you just build up a library of working through lots of problems. This process will get faster, more intuitive. And then maybe you won't have to build up a no muscle, or certainly you won't feel like what you've quoted as a yes man. One thing that I would push back on, though, is you said, how do you build up your no muscle without damaging relationships? And my recommendation is to not frame it as a no muscle. I think that if you encounter people with strong opinions, or even people with bad opinions, like eventually you'll just disagree with people, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, no, we're not going to do that. Like no is really harsh and saying no to somebody is pretty jarring. I don't know if this is me just becoming a corporate shill or if this is actually like <laughs> a really strong tactic here, but I think that reframing a no into a yes and or a, a yes but what if type statement is a lot stronger. So for example, if someone has a bad opinion, you could say, oh yeah, that's interesting, but you know that reminds me of this other thing that, what if we tried this? And you can be way more excited about the other thing that's actually your opinion, but you're still sort of giving some credibility, almost like allowing that person to save face. Like, yeah, that's a cool idea, but what if instead we did this totally different thing? Um, so that's a little bit more like improvisational, right? Like the yes and mindset. Like, mm-hmm. I see your point of view, I think I can take it, remix it, make it stronger. Uh, one way to do that, of course, is to have your own point of view, but another way is to just ask questions so rather than saying, no, that's a bad idea, or no, we're not going to do that. I think learning how to ask good questions of a person who you're collaborating with will help them come to certain conclusions on their own. So how did you arrive at that? What other solutions did you try? Did you consider this? Like Those are all ways to avoid saying no that still move the conversation forward. They feel productive. They also probably help you gather context that you might not have had in the first place. And then finally, the the last thing that came to mind for me was like, when you are at an impasse of opinions versus opinions, one thing we like to say on the show, or I guess one thing I like to say on the show is yeah, we can say we. to get out of... I agree. You agree? Okay. We like to say on the show, I just want to be careful I don't speak for you. We like to say, get out of subjective land and move into objective land. So is there a customer quote, a data point, some sort of new bullet point in the business strategy, just something real and objective that you and your collaborator can point to as a thing that will make the decision for you? 
data is probably a strong, the strongest helper here, maybe customer quotes or just user research. So getting away from, I think we should do this to the data validates that this assumption was more correct or increases signups or is better for the user experience, whatever you're working on. And so between those, like reframing no's to yeses, uh, moving out of subjectivity into objectivity, I feel like those are really good ways to keep conversations going without having that harsh no statement ever enter the picture. Probably helps you learn even more, gather more context, and probably helps the people you're collaborating with to even more deeply understand the problem they're working on anyways. It feels like a win-win-win all around because hopefully it arrives at you shipping something better for your customers. So anyways, that's my... (laughs) long answer to this one. What do you think, Marshall? Yeah, I think I agree with all that. I I do find myself, I have opinions about some things, but I don't have other opinions about other things. You know, like I I think you find as you become more expert in certain things, you will be able to form those opinions, but recognizing your own ignorance and not forming opinions around things that you're ignorant about. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm also kind of nervous about developing strong opinions because the world of software design is moving and changing so quickly that it feels like getting grounded in your ways or sort of building these cow paths in your mind feels like a great way to get trapped designing things the same way for the rest of your life. Sometimes you can see this with people who have been in the industry for a while. Like they came up in, I don't know what you want to call them, like the web two days. And I would certainly count myself as that. And you look at the new web three movement and everything from the aesthetics to some of the principles and the usability. I'm like, none of this is clicking for me. But I recognize that there's like part, there's a chance that some of these decisions are going to play a role in the future of software and the way that people in the world encounter and use and trust and take advantage of whatever different tools on the internet. So I want to keep open-minded and not let the decisions that were the best decisions for building the Facebooks and Twitters of the world be things that prevent me from seeing what the future is going to be built with. I don't know. Maybe that's a wishy-washy cop-out to say, oh, well, things could always change. I don't want to have strong opinions. But I think there's some pragmatism to saying I'm going to stay open-minded to things and constantly reconsider what I assume to be true. Uh, I wouldn't worry about getting taken advantage of as long as you are developing the skills to ask good questions and learn why other people are making decisions. That's totally fine. Like, play the long game here. Just learn, get a ton of exposure to different problems, and uh, eventually you'll have strong opinions, hopefully weekly held. Cool. All right. Thank you for asking that. And uh, Marshall, maybe that's it for the the news desk. Yeah. Three, three topics. Let's move on to cool things, Brian. <laughs> so lifelike. All right. Uh, I'll go first this week. I think you went first last week. Yeah, go for so it. So my cool thing this week is kind of your cool thing, basically. Uh, you and I have been talking about watching two movies together for a while because neither you or I are super into like scary movies, if I understand this correctly. Correct. But there's two, Hereditary and Midsommar, that are just like good movies that we would like to watch. Anyways, you went down the Hereditary rabbit hole and watched a bunch of YouTube videos about it and like read the script and director's cuts and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, this was my first time watching anything related to it. In fact, I wasn't even sure if I'd seen the trailer for Hereditary, but I had heard that it was just a really messed up movie. And I'm just not into watching messed up movies anymore. I feel like an old person, but I used to be into all that gross, 
horror, gore, torture, shit. Like, I used to love all the Saw movies, right? Mm -hmm. I watched all the Saw movies in college. Like, oh, yeah, this is edgy and grimy and makes me uncomfortable. Now the thought of watching a Saw movie, I can't even entertain it for a second. It's just disgusting. And I felt like Hereditary was going to fit into the same bucket because I just heard it was a gnarly movie. But I've heard it was a good movie as well. And anyways, you poked at that. So we decided to watch it together. We watched it last night and it was good. And it wasn't gross. It was good. It was scary in like a not scary way, like a metaphysical like tension. It was spooky and tense, but not scary in my opinion, which is kind of the right level. Like I don't mind watching a spooky or tense movie. I think my thing is I don't want to go home that night and feel uncomfortable in a dark room. And I definitely didn't feel that way going home last night. So You weren't checking the corners? I did not check the (laughs) corners. I did not check the corners. I did not open every door in the house. I did not go up into the attic. Probably for the best. (laughs) I will never go into the attic, mostly because I don't have an attic, but also because (laughs) there's probably some spooky shit up there no matter what. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I very much like that movie anyways. Yeah. And we have uh, Midsommar next, right? Yeah. You don't know very much about that one either, right? No. All I know is the cover of it, and I think it's something to do with a cult. Like, there's lots of imagery of people wearing white dresses. Mm -hmm. So that's all I know about it. All right. Cool thing, Brian. Next week, Midsommar. All right. What you got? My cool thing this week is somebody that you know about, actually. I think I might have introduced you to him. But I've mentioned Ludwig on the podcast before as a YouTuber that I watch relatively frequently and part of his like extended friend group includes this guy named Atriac who is also a Twitch streamer and has a YouTube channel and what's really cool about his channel is one I mean he plays video games and he's not a great gamer but he is willing to put hour upon hour upon hour into getting better at a thing that he sucks at which has led to him becoming a world record holding hitman speedrunner. He's come okay. up with a bunch of different Super strategies random. and stuff. But uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Anyways, he's got street cred, but by day he works at NVIDIA in the marketing department. And so then he, he streams in the evenings. And one of the things he does every week is marketing Mondays. And I find it endlessly fascinating to see him break down wins and fails of the week in the marketing world. He'll do like, you know, top 10 ads of all time and talk about why they're good and why they're bad. Talking about how, you know, marketing affects product and how all these things are interconnected and and all these uh, intricate aspects of the business that I don't normally think about or that doesn't usually affect the stuff that I do. But he presents it in a way, you know, kind of explain it like I'm five in a way that, you know, Twitch chat can understand. And his editors are really good. So if you don't watch them live, the YouTube videos are like nice and concise, super funny. So anyways, Atrioc is my cool thing this week. Awesome. Link in the show notes. You watch them, right? Yeah, we watched, uh, I think it's his poster video on his channel, the original Atrioc Gambit. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. This is this is yeah. probably the best video on this his This was channel. the video you showed me yeah. to introduce me. This is, yeah. the, this is the gateway. We'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, it's a video of him describing a college course that he took where the entire semester, you are working in a small group to play this specialized business simulation that they've set up specifically for the class to sell laptops, right? That's what you're doing. But 50% of your grade is based on your performance in this game competition thing. And he said, all right, we are going to 
not just win this thing, we're going to destroy everyone else. And the journey to get there is hilarious. So link in the show notes, check that out. If you like that, you'll probably like the rest of his content. Alrighty. Well, this has been episode 434 of the Design Details podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're always on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you enjoyed the, the topics and have a question or topic of your own that you'd like us to dig into in the future, head to github.com slash design details slash design details open an issue or if you have something that you'd like us to talk about and stay anonymous you can always dm us on twitter if you want to hear more design details the show doesn't end here we're heading over to the sidebar 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 where we were going to talk about downgrading your career for extra happiness if you are a supporter on our patreon you get access to bonus content every week like this including the backlog and sidebars going forward so once again that's patreon.com slash design details that's it We'll catch you next week. Bye. Marshall, grab bag day. Yeah, we got a news desk, Brian. Biddy, 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 dee. Biddy, 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 dee. That was about as boring of a <laughs> <laughs> intro sound effect I could possibly think of. You're like you're like a person who's reading a script for a movie, and the <laughs> script is like news flash sound, and the person <laughs> forgot that they're supposed to make the news flash sound, so they're sort of just reading it <laughs> word for word on the script. Uh-huh.